Welcome to the Second Mile Church Podcast, where we believe deeper friendships, a bigger God, and fuller lives in Christ are found in the Second Mile. Oh yeah, let's get into more of the Word this morning, if that's okay. Ephesians chapter 4, going to give you four ways to fail your marriage, or even the closest relationships you have in your life right now. How not to make it 45 years. You ready? How not to survive 45 years of close relationship or marriage. Ephesians chapter 4 gives us uh, kind of a, a, a look at this. Verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one for one of another. Being, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Uh-oh, that's not your spouse. That's, that's the enemy at work to divide you and your spouse. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Ephesians 4 reminds us that we are all members of one body. And so, how do we fail at being the people of God in a church, in a marriage, in our homes, in other relationships that we're a part of? Number one, how, do you, how to fail? Idolize independence. Idolize independence. In, or excuse me, uh, yeah. Interdependence is at the heart of Christian community. We work together. And so when we idolize independence, we're doing something that nothing in Scripture tells us to do. Well, it's, it's my life. I'm going to live the way I want to. That's not according to the Bible then, okay? We are in an interdependent community of faith. We worship together. We walk through life together. We get to see couples like this that are ahead of people like me and Carrie go through the valleys, go through the hard times, experience the joy in it and after it. They teach us something along the way. An example of this togetherness, an example of this togetherness can be found in Genesis 1:28, where the verse begins, "God blessed them and said to them." God is speaking to plural, okay? He didn't speak to Adam, he didn't speak to Eve individually. He God blessed them and said to them. This has always been a, a 
a situation where God decrees, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is fruitful and multiplication can only happen through interdependence. Echoes of this be fruitful and multiply concept are expanded in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, where verbs like go and make disciples, baptizing, teaching are all written originally in plural form. That this is an us thing. This is a, we get to do this. We are commissioned to do this. We are called to do this. That we are a family of being interdependent upon each other. All of you baptize. All of you teach. And here we see the Son of God give a commission that doesn't require marriage, doesn't require childbearing in order to be fruitful and multiply. So in a family, when we think it all evolves around us, that's when everything starts benefiting one person and the rest suffer. Come on, it's good teaching. You want to be standing up here for 45 years in a movie theater? Lord, help me, Jesus. <laughs> now, we love this, but I, I, maybe. But if you want those moments to celebrate it cannot revolve around you. How to fail number two. Bring up the stuff that your spouse, your child, or a friend has repented for. Ephesians 4 verse 26 says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Don't give the devil a foothold. Man, some of us are guilty of this. Now, some of us, guilty of saying I'm sorry and holding no weight. Repentance is I'm sorry and turning. Right? So husbands, apologize and turn. Pivot. Wives, say I'm sorry and pivot. Away from that mistake you just made. Away from that harsh language you just used. Away from that name calling you just did, sir. If you said I'm sorry, turn from it. Man, that's good preaching this morning. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. You, you've heard it phrased another way. Don't go to bed angry. Resolve it. The best thing, the best way to fail your marriage or a relationship is to give the devil a foothold by not resolving conflict fast enough. Okay? It's growing season, and as just as much as healthy things grow, weeds grow faster. Uh-oh. And the weeds will choke out all the good. And so you've got to get to the weed fast. You've got to resolve the conflict now, not later, not after you go and drink a few and come back. Is this the same church? Not after you go and hang out with your girls. Not after you go and play a video game. Uh-oh. 
Resolve it. Don't let the enemy get a foothold. Rather, be speedy in, a, in, com, in conflict resolution. In verse 32, Paul re, restates his point in the affirmative, be kind, be tenderhearted, forgive, because you have been forgiven. How to fail number three, you ready? Make sure all your friends are the same age, the same tax bracket, same marital status, same cultural background. What? Yeah. Thank you, Ephesians 4, verse 28 says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Society tells us to climb so we can get more. Strive for huge bank accounts, gated communities, exclusive schools. Ephesus was wasn't any different in its desires. Ephesus, when you talk about Ephesians, little, little basic Bible here, Ephesians, the whole chapter is Paul writing to Ephesus, which is a town in, in Rome that the Ephesians live in, okay? Wilmingtonians, Ephesians. You get it? Ephesus. It's a, it's a city, Okay, Ephesus wasn't any different than the culture we live in right now, where you've got to climb the ladder, you've got to step it up to keep making more money, to live a certain lifestyle, or be with certain groups of people. Under the Romans, Ephesus thrived, reaching the pinnacle of its greatness during the first and second centuries of the Christian era. At the time of Paul, Ephesus was probably the fourth largest city with nearly 250,000 people. During the reign of Emperor Hadrian, Ephesus was designated as the capital of the Roman province of Asia. Archaeologists have, unco- have uncovered ruins of, the, of, of temples and gymnasiums, public baths, theaters that seat 24,000 people, a library as well as several streets and immaculate private residences. Also discovered were the head and forearm of a colossal statue of the emperor Domitian. Domitian. Paul is telling the people of Ephesus, a major port city, uh uh-oh, known for its excesses to work in order to share. Paul was letting them know we don't do things for ourselves. We've got to have people in our life that are different than us. Up, down, I, I, there's, there's books out there, how to lead up, okay? How to lead up. We, we always think leaders lead down, but there's, there's second chairs and people that you work for, and how, how do you lead, how do you get connected with people that are above you? How do you get connected with people below you and across from you? in different work environments and, and life situations. When we prioritize our time and money to work so we can share with those in need, we broadcast the kingdom of God in a way quite similar to Acts chapter 2, verse 44 through 47. Most of us are not physically robbing other people. You see, it's easy to read this scripture fast, and say, don't give the devil a foothold. Let the thief no longer steal. We attach the thief to the devil. Because there's a scripture that does as well. Paul's talking to us. 
Don't let the, the devil get a foothold, but let the thief no longer steal. Who's robbed anything lately? Anybody? I won't turn you in yet if you tell me. Um, most of us are probably not physically robbing other people of their possessions. Yet we are capable of stealing dignity and personhood, though. We can still rob other people of their true designation as image bearers. When we play favorites, when we pick and choose who we want in our little bubble, we counteract this by cultivating Christ-like empathy, allowing the prejudicial places in our hearts to be moved by compassion. So who are you surrounding yourself with? How to fail number three. Surround yourself with the same people. How to fail number four, the last one. Use your words to cut down instead of build up. Ephesians 4, verse 29 and 30, we've read it already. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. When we use our words to insult and degrade, we provide false advertising for our God. The word Jesus is a life giver. Our words should do the same. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He became a life giver. The word became flesh. The word became a life giver. What are your words doing today as a representation of the life-giving word of God? There's a difference between constructive criticism. Let me talk to married people just for a moment. There's a difference between constructive criticism and exhortation that might be initially be hard to hear versus slander and biting sarcasm. That's for anybody, but specifically in the context of marriage. Biting sarcasm can destroy a marriage. Constructive criticism and exhortation, even though it's hard to hear, it's intended to build up. I look at it this way. I look at constructive criticism and exhortation, encouragement as surgery. I look at slander and biting sarcasm as mutilation. James 3, verse 6 through 12 talks about the tongue talks about tongue taming a lot. Not just because unseasoned words are impolite, but because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, Matthew says. And God is always, always concerned about our heart condition. So in your closest relationships, are you false advertising for our God? Jacob, you can come back and play. 
Is your home today an operating room where surgery is happening or mutilation is happening? I'm going to try not to be too graphic here. But back in 2015, there was an article that went out that I think it was in 2011, this finally got banned completely as much as possible. But the article is specific to Kenya, nation I've been to multiple times, people there that I love dearly and would call them probably before I'd call other people here in the States when something was in need. This article deems, the title of it is Kenya's Cutting Room, where villages and even in the city, they would take young ladies into an operating room with a scalpel and take things and just mutilate them so that reproduction couldn't happen. And then they would take a bottle of alcohol and pour it on the wounds. The Kenya cutting room. Married couples, families, The tongue is sharper than anything we can imagine sometimes. And if you want to fail, mutilate. If you want to cut life out of your relationships, joy out of your relationships, reproduction, that life-giving feature out of your relationships, mutilate. Cut. Take the same scalpel, your tongue, in the same house, and you can perform surgery that heals people, that encourages people. And as sharp, can I tell you, as sharp as that tongue can be to mutilate and cut somebody down, it is as sharp as can be to cut through difficult situations. And encouragement will cut through depression. It will cut through self-worth issues when you begin to speak life into someone else again. So is your closest relationships a place of mutilation or surgery? Will you stand with me? Uh, I'm, stay there. Will married couples stand with me? If your wife is nearby go, or spouse is nearby, go grab them. I want to pray for you first. 
Say, Pastor, you're just singling out everybody else. No, I'm singling out married people because that marriage represents the covenant we have with God. And we are a light to the world. And when the world sees us fight and and mutilate each other and and have problems and divorce, I'm sick of the enemy causing divorce in the lives of believers. Amen? And anybody. But I take marriage seriously. I have told two or three couples throughout my years of ministry, I can't marry you. I'm sorry. Maybe someone else can do it. Because I'm not signing off on something that isn't, you you want me to marry you in the name of God, but you don't want to live in the name of God. Me marrying you is not going to fix your heart. Therefore, you are unequally yoked and you are wanting to do a biblical thing and live out a non-biblical marriage. I take this serious. And it's hard. Marriage is hard. Nobody gives us a handbook for that spouse. And I, same thing for Carrie. She didn't get one for me. We have quirks, we have problems, we have situations that hurt and sometimes we're guilty of adding fuel to the fire if you know what I mean and so today I pray that you would take Ephesians 4 married couples and idolize interdependence that you would refuse to bring up stuff that your spouse a child or a friend has repented for. That you would surround your marriage with people that are different than you. And finally, that you would use your words to build up and not cut down. Somehow embrace that spouse and I just want to pray a blessing over you today as we dismiss There's going to be prayer team members down here if you still need prayer today or need to surrender your life to the Lord. Heavenly Father, I pray for every man and woman in this room. I pray for every married couple represented, God, that you would unite us even closer today, God, to each other. God, let this vow renewal represented by the Parkers be something we do in our home this week. That we would renew the commitment, the covenant, the special moment of saying, I want to live for them and not myself anymore. God, I pray that you would tame our tongue. I pray for the men in this room. God, that we would be full of life that comes out of our mouth because God, I pray that you would change our hearts 
God, we don't want to speak something that our heart doesn't have. So God, change our hearts first. And out of the overflow will be life-giving words to our spouse. Change the heart of every man in this room today. God, I pray that we would build up our spouse. God, I pray that we would, that, that Adam you would do better at elevating Carrie in our home. And God, I pray that you would allow us to live Ephesians 4 type marriages where we forgive, where we don't steal their dignity, where we realize you've placed us together and no man can separate. Bless each home in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Everybody stand with me as Melissa comes and closes our service this morning. Thank you for joining us today. If you're ready to say yes to Jesus, text YES to 910-537-5773. We have some tools to help you on this new journey. If you would like to know more about Second Mile Church, text CONNECT to 910-537-5773. Thank you for going the second mile with us, and now it's time for you to go the second mile in your life.